The reading today is from the Old Testament. And if you are able and willing, please stand in honor of God's word. Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground, bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Man, you know, of all the uh, themes that we have in our culture and our music and our movies and our TV shows and our books, there's, there's this one that's always intrigued me, and it's the road trip, all right? The road trip shows up all over the place, and not just the road trip, but, but the, uh, the, the journey home, you know, the, the great escape of some sort, and then the journey home. It's, it's actually an entire genre of American literature, the, the road trip or the journey, but it shows up all over the place as well. Uh, and this actually is not just a, a modern theme. It's not just an American theme, uh, but this has been around for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, there was a, a North African uh, young man, a student, bright guy from a, a, a you know, pretty well-off family, and he was ambitious, his family was ambitious, and so when he could, he moved to Rome, and he studied in the best colleges, the best universities, did all the grad school. He got the job he wanted, he moved up the ranks, he basically found as much success in his field as you could possibly find, and at a very young age. And what he discovered, what a lot of people discover, was that he was totally empty when he arrived. 
He, he had set his sights on a, on a final destination, and when he got there, he realized he had been going in the wrong direction the whole time. And so he actually moved back. He moved back to Africa. He moved back to his hometown. And it was here that he, he found God. He found peace. He found rest. And actually, in that place, he did his most significant work, the work that we now know him for, and I'm talking about St. Augustine. And this was 1,500 years ago. But there's a philosopher, James K. Smith, he calls Augustine the patron saint of the restless heart. I love that, the restless heart. And he writes, For Augustine, the gospel is a hard-fought epiphany that emerged after trying everything else. After a long time on the road, at the end of his rope, it wasn't just the answer to an intellectual question. It was more like shelter in a storm, a port for a wayward soul, nourishment for a prodigal who was famished. It was like someone had finally showed him his home country, even though he'd never been there before. It was the father he'd spent a lifetime looking for, saying to him, welcome home. And so Augustine taught that the essence of faith in Christ is a journey. But it's not a, a, a meandering without purpose, but it is a, it is a journey home. A, a trip to a home that we have, we have always had a sense of, a taste for, something we've always longed to be true. His most famous line of all is this, Our hearts are restless till they find rest in God. And so in this fall semester, we are immersing ourselves in the book of Isaiah. We're six or seven weeks in. We've made it almost to the middle part of the book. And there are all these rich themes that Isaiah is opening up to us. And what we're going to see today is the theme of exile, the journey, the theme of, of homelessness and disconnection. We're also going to see the, the theme of, of making our way back home, to, to journeying towards this this eternal destination that we've always hoped is really there. Isaiah 34, just before the text we read, it envisions a, a brutal and dry desert. There is no life, there is, there is no water, there is nothing good in this place, and that represents life without God. And then in our text, Isaiah 35, there's this beautiful picture, basically, of paradise. Life as it should be, life with God, where the deserts have, have become streams of, of living water and where everything is made new, everything is full of life. It's a picture of the total restoration of the natural world, the end of all our waiting and searching, our true and final home. And so we're going to look at three things today. We were made for home, but our lives are spent in exile. Thankfully, there is a way back home. So exile, or rather home, exile, and then the way to get back home. So the first thing is that we were actually made for home. We, we start in verse 1, and we see the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, I did a bit of research, that's a flower. <laughs> it's the extent of research available, it's a flower. Like the flower, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. And so where does God begin his work of renewal? Where does he begin his, his renewing work of grace in our lives? He begins where we are. He begins in the desert, the wilderness, the place of dryness and disconnection and lifelessness. He begins his work right where we are. 
And a dreary desert is where we are apart for God, from God, but it's not where we will always be. It's where our journey begins, and it's thankfully not where it ends. You know, even in Christianity, some folks are, are really like desert folks or, or wilderness folks. You know, Christianity, they say, is, is it's being in the desert. It's a wilderness. It's, it's a long journey like Israel through the wilderness. We've not arrived. We, we are living in desert times. And they're right. They're like half right. Because the other set of people are, are real paradise folks. They're like the wilderness, the desert, that was for Israel. But we are on our way. The kingdom is here. Jesus has come. He has ushered us into his, his great and glorious kingdom. We are living in paradise. It'll get a little bit better, but we are at paradise right now. And they're right, like half right. I think that the truest thing is, is right here in our passage, that we are somewhere in between. We are on our way from the desert to paradise, but we have not arrived. There's a sense in which the whole story of the world is a story of home. A story of home that we had, the home that we lost. A period of exile, and then finally, a homecoming. Think about it. When God created Adam and Eve, he set them in the garden, and they had everything that they needed. They were in this perfect and glorious, this lush, garden-like home of a place where there was total peace and harmony. God was present. They had each other. The creation was, was flawless and beautiful. Think about what, what home is. What's, what is true of a home? I thought of a couple things. Home is where you can be at rest. You can be yourself, you know? Home is where you, you can lose that feeling of like being on all the time. You know that feeling? Even when you're around your friends and your family, you're, you're just kind of on. You're expending more energy than, than you normally do. And when you get back home, you can finally just, just, I guess, be off. Like shut it down, unwind, take a seat, be yourself. Home is where we can be at rest. But second, home is also where everything fits you. Home is where you've got your stuff. And I don't think it's consumeristic to just want your your stuff around you, you know, like your own decoration, your own clothes, your own bed. This is why I hate traveling so much is I just, it's hard. It's exhausting to just be away from home. You know, you're, you're at somebody else's house. You're eating somebody else's food. If you're in a hotel, you're like, how many thousands of people have slept on this mattress before? Maybe you don't think like that, but that's what I'm thinking about at 3 a.m. when I'm in a hotel or an Airbnb or something. But home Home is where everything fits you. I've got one more. Home is where you're no longer looking for something else, no longer looking to the next thing. Now, I went to Mizzou. It was a minute ago, circa 2002. I lived in Hudson Hall. And for you softies, this was pre-AC at Mizzou, okay? There was no air conditioning, like hard tile floor that somehow, no matter how much you swept, it was always dirty with like lint and hair and just like stuff from all of the years, had a roommate, random roommate, that was just kind of a whole awkward situation for nine months. And we're talking like prison grade mattress. This thing is like three inches thick and you just go right down to the springs on the little prison grade cot that they've got you on, you know. I was always looking forward to getting out of there, right? Nine months in the dorm and I'm out. I never, never went back. And at the same time, a lot of our... our our lives as, as young people, even throughout our lives, we always are, are kind of feeling like our home or our sense of home is a little bit incomplete, right? 
We're, we're looking for something that just fits us better. There's got to be more than this. And it's not just the search for a, a better home or like people say like, it, you know, is that your forever home? And it's like, well, hopefully like a, the new creation is my forever home, but I don't, I'm not trying to move either. But home, home is where you're no longer looking ahead to the next thing. It's where you can be at rest. It's where everything fits you. It's where you're no longer looking ahead. And this is what the Garden of Eden was. It was perfect. Everything. This was what we were were made for. This is what you have deep within you. That's why you expect things to be better than they are. It's because you were created for this Garden of Eden-like experience. But what happened? We lost it. Adam and Eve, through their sin, were banished from the garden. And Adam and Eve were representatives of all of mankind, which means however they acted was exactly how all of mankind would have acted, how you would have acted, how I would have acted. And they sinned against God. They broke his law. They broke his heart, and they were removed from his presence. They were banished. And banishment is is one of the most brutal things that we experience in this world, in this life. Anytime there's relational brokenness, there's always some kind of distance, right? Some kind of banishing. Maybe you've been been banished wrongly and and through no fault of your own. Maybe you've experienced the banishing that that was a result of your own actions. And that is what what our loss of Eden was. It's because of our sin, our, our fallen nature our own choices to rebel against God, that we have lost our paradise collectively. We were rightfully banished. And so that leads us to the second thing, that our lives are spent in exile. The story of the world is a story of home loss, and the story of God's people is a story of exile and wandering, trying to find a way back home. Abraham received all the promises of God and yet spent his entire life traveling, never quite arriving at the place that God was calling them to. Israel became slaves in Egypt, far from home, under heavy oppression. Even when they were liberated and when they got their freedom, they still spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And all of them but like two died in that place. Even Moses was able to see the promised land from a far way off, but he never got to enter it himself. Even when they entered the land, when there was some peace under David and Solomon, it was short-lived. They were captured. They were overthrown by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and all these other nations. They got back to Jerusalem. They built a, a small version of their temple, but they were always being invaded. They were always under foreign rule. So when Jesus comes on the scene, they're in Jerusalem. They're in the promised land, and yet they are under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They are exiled in their own homes, in their own backyard. The story of God's people is a story of home, lost, exile, wandering, searching to get back home. That's why so many of Isaiah's prophecies follow this theme. Talk about a longing, a hope for the restoration, not just of of our spiritual lives, but a restoration of the physical world. Almost all of these, these messages on Isaiah, almost every chapter about I, in Isaiah is, is about hope. The, the hope that we have out in front of us, that which we can look forward to in the end. It's not enough for us just to have a, a spiritual home. But because we were made for a, a physical, you know, emplaced, embodied kind of experience, 
You probably feel it within you that you long for a certain physical nature to home itself. This is why literal homelessness is one of the most brutal forms of life. Not having a home, not having anywhere to go, it's dehumanizing in a lot of ways. This is why Christianity has always been sensitive to the the homeless community, why most shelters and and food centers are are faith-based. All of the great uh, centers for for the homeless in Colombia, Turning Point, Jobs for Life, Love Colombia, they're all led by believers. And it's because we, we know homelessness. Even if we haven't experienced it literally, we've experienced the spiritual homelessness. All of us have. There was a, a German philosopher, Martin Heidegger. He described our modern society with one word, homeless. We're a, we're a homeless group of people. This world does not fit us. We cannot find our place. We don't feel at home or at rest. And like I said, it's because we were built for another kind of home. That's why verses 3 and 4 call us to encourage each other. It says, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, He will come to save you. Anytime the Bible says something three times in a row, it means we need to hear it. God will come. He will come. He will come to save you. Christianity speaks into our sense of exile and homelessness. This is the dominant theme of the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. Peter's writing to Jewish believers who have been spread out all over the area because of persecution. And he opens with this greeting to God's chosen people, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And he goes on in the second chapter to say, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Don't don't give in to the world around you, but remember that Christ suffered for you. And so we are still exiles. To be a Christian is to be an exile. This, This world is not our home. America is not the new Israel. It's, this is not a, a permanent country for us. Home is still off in the distance. I don't know if you've ever tried to like see the Colorado, Colorado mountains, like from here, central Missouri. You're like, I know they're out there. I'm sure of it. I've seen it before. I think maybe I can see it off in the distance. If you get up really high, turns out it's just Roachport. We're longing, we're squinting, we're straining our eyes to see that place, that final home. Christianity makes sense of our feeling of exile, but it does even more than that. It opens up a way home. It fulfills our deep longing for home. Think about Jesus. He left the perfect home. He left perfection in heaven with the Father and the Son and the angels and the seraphim. And he didn't come to a safe, warm home. He was literally born on the road. You remember the Christmas story? His parents were forced to travel uh, to Joseph's hometown when Mary was nine months pregnant, 80 or 90 miles this journey by foot and by donkey. Even when they arrived to Bethlehem, there was no place for them And so Jesus was literally born into a a barn house, a farmhouse. 
Not like the kind y'all are getting married in now, like real animals and smelly stuff kind of barns. People are like, I want to get married on a farm. I'm like, I'm not sure if you've been to a farm before. (laughs) That's not a farm. That's a retreat center or something. Jesus was born on the road. In fact, he was born into exile. When he left Bethlehem, it wasn't to go home, but they were warned that he was going to be killed. And so they went as refugees into Egypt for two years. Jesus began his earthly life in exile. As an adult, when he began his ministry, he would tell others the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He spent his three years of ministry traveling, going from place to place, living on the road, sleeping on floors with like 12 other fishermen and dudes. Jesus knows exile. He knows homelessness. And even better, he knows the way back. That's the third thing. There is a way back. As Isaiah speaks of our desert kind of life, the the exile that we find ourselves in, he promises this bright future in verse 5. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I mean, what a beautiful picture. He's, he's constantly showing us our, our future paradise. What we have to look forward to as Christians, the renewal of all things. And the question comes, how do we get there? Verses 8 and 9, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. I mean, it's beautiful. There's this image of a, of a highway opening up. And not like, a, like an interstate with all the, the lanes. Of course, this is before cars. I did the research. It's before cars. But there were roads back then for walking on. And the highway that's envisioned is literally like a road that, is, that has come up above the earth, earth above the ground, above all the, the, the muddy streets and above all the, the brokenness and the, the animal gunk. A, a high way where we can walk. A place where there's, there's, no, there's no harm. There's nothing unsafe, nothing to, to jump out and attack us. We will simply walk along that way by the grace of God. Now, how can this be? How can we go from exile to paradise? How can we get onto this this road, this highway? And this is the good news of Christianity. That Jesus did leave his home to enter our cold, dark, broken world. Born in a manger, lived in exile, lived without a home. But most of all, he faced the ultimate exile, the ultimate banishment. You know, in, in Jerusalem, when they, would, when they would execute somebody, they would never do it within city limits. They never wanted to have, have death within their city limits. And so after an unjust trial, they took Jesus and they made him carry his own cross and they drug him out of the city, outside the gates. And there they crucified him. There they hung him up on the post, outside the city, banished, cut off. It was a symbol of what he was experiencing internally, to be, to be cut off from the Father, 
to be taking the full weight of the penalty of our sins, to take death, disconnection, banishment on our behalf. He suffered what we most fear, total exile, complete and final banishment. He did all of that so that we wouldn't have to. He took the banishment that we deserve. He suffered all this just to make a way for us, a way back home. Home is God himself. That's what Psalm 90 says, Moses and all of his wilderness wanderings. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. God is our home. And Jesus is the way to that home. Jesus is the one who turns the desert into a garden bursting with life. The badlands become oasis. The wilderness becomes heavenly. Verse 10, I love, we will enter Zion with singing. That heavenly final city, everlasting joy will crown our heads. Gladness and joy will overtake us. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Since we were created for a perfect world, since we have it deep within us, God doesn't just give us a a spiritual home, but he restores to us a physical, a permanent and eternal home. And when we're finally there, gladness and joy will will overtake us. I'm going to have the picture of this this walkway that opens up and there's no danger, there's, there's no harm, we're walking in safety, but all of a sudden we do get surrounded and overtaken by something, and it's by gladness and joy. I mean, think about it. Even the most, of all the believers, the most critical, curmudgeon believers, I include myself in this, surrounded, overtaken, and just mugged by gladness and joy. We cannot fight it back. We are finally and totally overcome by gladness and joy. And so three questions In light of our current journey, our our status as exiles, our longing for home, three questions. First, where do you long for healing, even now? Where maybe have you given up? Where have you forgotten that God is a God of mercy and justice and healing and renewal? Where do you need to get back on your knees in prayer and ask for more of God than you've ever asked? If we think about the wild, amazing teachings of Jesus on prayer, we are always asking for too little. God is a good father that loves to give gifts to his children. And so first question, where do you long for healing now? But second question, where must you wait on the Lord and wait for his new creation? There's a a tension to hold here of longing for healing and renewal in this life and being patient and waiting when we don't get the answer from God that we want. We're not in the timing that we want it. We know that 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 answer will come, that healing and renewal will come, sometimes not till the very end. And so we continue to ask with boldness, and yet we continue to wait with patience and perseverance. Third question, where can you join in God's work. The so first question is, where do you long for healing? Second, where must you wait on the Lord? But third, in between those things, where can you join what Jesus is currently doing in our world? How can you join his mission of the renewing of all things? 
Healing and renewal will come in perfection when Jesus returns, and healing and renewal is possible now because he has already come. This is why we can pour out our lives on behalf of others, especially the poor and needy, especially those on the margins or those who are disconnected, those who have been banished. And you know, there's this, this trend in our world and in Christianity, even in our churches, where we are, we are pro-justice. We, we believe in justice. We are for justice and mercy. We even want to be part of a church that does justice and mercy. And yet we don't get personally involved ourselves. The place where I see this more than anywhere else is in my own heart. Love justice, I love mercy, I've read books about it, I've talked about it. But there is so much resistance in my own heart to get personally involved. Well, like Jesus, we have to leave our, our comforts, whatever they are, When we see pain, when we see need, like Jesus, we don't shrink back from it, but we move towards it. That's the life of the Christian. To actually put down our needs for a moment, to put down our our busy lives for a moment, to put our own energy and resources on the line, to accept a a life that's, that's perhaps even diminished from what we could accomplish on our own if we were only looking after our own selves, to, to even lower our own standard of living for the sake of other people. Now, if you're asking how, I've got a great application. I didn't totally plan this, but it works. We do have a mercy and justice lunch, like right after church. The crockpots are plugged in. They're ready to go. It's like old school church lunch. I want to encourage you to think through, not only in volunteering, not only in serving, though I hope you do, think through your own life and where you have a little bit of space to seek somebody out, to lift them up, to tell them of, of God's renewing work in their lives, of his love for them. And see, in God's world, to give your life away is to find it. To give your life away in Jesus' economy, it's to get back joy and peace and strength. Your own healing and renewal comes as you give your very life away. And so in a moment, we're going to take communion. We remember that we were made for a perfect world, but we lost it. Jesus came to draw us back, to give us hope of a new heavens and new earth, where we have all that we need. We remember that if we try to make this world and and all it can offer, if we try to make it our, our true home, we will always be deserted in the end and disappointed along the way. But Jesus left his home, faced the exile, homelessness, and banishment that we deserve, all to bring us back. And he calls us even now to join his work, the renewing of all things. And one day, Isaiah is guaranteeing us it will be worth it. Gladness and joy will overtake us. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let's pray. Father God, we have sang already how great is our God. Great are you, Lord. We are calling upon your greatness, and we truly believe it, God. We know that left to our our own selves, that we have no hope and no life in this world, and so we call 
upon you, Almighty God. How could it be that you would send your own son for us who were dead and lost, cut off in our sin? And you came down and and lifted us up, made a way back for us to walk with you in peace and safety and security and to, to make our way back to this final home. Lord, I think if there's, if there's anybody here today who especially feels the sense of exile, sense of hopelessness or homelessness, feels burdened by just being, being removed or banished from some, some group or some relationship, Lord, even now would you come to them and would you bless them with your presence? Would you draw near to them? For all of us, Lord, as we do this life together as a community. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you go before us? Would you protect us from behind, Lord? Would you be with us? We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.